Let's go through every single package installed with a Linux install image. I'm going through the software included with Slackware, but these are all open source applications and libraries, so whether you're running Slackware like me, or Fedora, Debian, BSD, or even Mac or Windows, you can probably download, install, and try these on your computer. So chances are, you'll be able to learn something from this podcast. Let's get started. Libnice, this is a whole, this is the start of a whole, a whole series of confusions. So Libnice, not about nice. You know, when you, when you launch top or htop or whatever your choice is, you can re-nice, or, or you can even use the command re-nice. Uh, you can, you can affect the quote-unquote niceness of a process, like how much percentage of your CPU time it sort of wants, it takes, it demands. Anyway, that's not what libnice is about. It is actually about ICE, I-C-E. What does that stand for? Interactive Connectivity Exchange or something like that. I, I should have had that on my screen before I started answering that question. Where is it? Yeah, Interactive Connectivity Establishment. That's ICE. So I don't know where the N comes from. N is in November. Live nice. I don't know where that comes from. It's just live nice, but it's actually about... It really, really, it's libice, but they call it libnice, and they is libnice.free.desktop.org. And by the way, if you go to that site, good luck. Um, the 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 website for libnice, which is libnice.free.desktop.org, is completely uh, indecipherable. You'll go there; it's got the thinnest possible font against some of the most mismatched colors. Um, there's sort of a, I guess the the, I guess the initial one is it does look to be maybe black on white, but it's so thin it doesn't come across as black on white. And then you scroll down, and it's talking about traversing NATs and interoperability, and it's white on sort of a pale blue, so kind of the effect of maybe a cloud against the sky, except it's really, really thin fonts, and then there's this bold yellow with black that's probably the most readable, but it's just, it's the worst. And then there's this bright green and bright purple and even a brighter blue. It's amazing how they have made this information completely inaccessible. And whatever, like, coding standard they used for the website, it's not using, I think it's the, um, was the main um, element in HTML5 now? I think that, and I could be wrong on the, the details here, but it's not using something that Firefox typically uses to offer a sort of a reader view. Um, if you if you use Firefox, you you may know that in the URL bar, sometimes you get an extra little icon on the right, and it looks just like a document, a little page with some writing on it. And if you click that, it, it essentially extracts the main portion of the page that you're on and puts it into just a, a really a plain text view in your Firefox window. I use it all the time because it really just, it pushes all the excess away and just gives you the text. It's a beautiful experience. Um, but for libnice.freedesktop.org, I highly suggest because they don't have, they don't have a sensible font, they don't have a way to adjust your view, and they don't have the Firefox, you know, they're not using whatever Firefox uses to identify, like, what the actual content of the page is. So I highly recommend just using links, go to free desktop, libnice.freedesktop.org, and it's much, much more readable that way. Anyway, lib nice. What is it? As I've said, interactive connectivity establishment, what does that mean? Well, it does have a bunch of stuff to do with uh, UDP data streams. UDP is, of course, kind of the, I guess, the, uh, let's call it an alternative to TCP. It's it's the other thing, you know, for IP 
TCP IP. Well, there's also UDP. And UDP is known for being um, less strict, I guess, than TCP. It, it sends out data packets, and it doesn't ever check whether that data packet was received. And that's a desirable trait for some applications. Sometimes you, you would rather just send a bunch of data and hope that most of it gets to the destination, and trust that if a packet or two is lost along the way for whatever reason, that's fine. It'll be a momentary glitch in a, in a very long stream, and it won't matter. And that, of course, applies strongly to streaming audio, streaming video, that sort of thing. And if you've ever been streaming audio and video, maybe on a video call or something, and someone freezes momentarily, or they you lose their, their sound, or they become like a robot voice sound just momentarily, that's probably what's happening, is that the UDP stream lost a couple of packets and and for just a moment you notice that those packets are lost because you you lose data but we're pretty um agile beings us humans and we can kind of interpret around some of those lost packets so if if i was talking to you about um oh i just installed slackware desktop you would know that what i was you lost maybe a couple of words in there but it doesn't really matter what they were it was probably like slackware linux on my desktop or something like that but i mean who cares you get the idea so UDP is useful for exactly that use case. Let's just get the data across the the wires as quickly as or yeah, as quickly and efficiently as possible. Let's not let's not clog things up by asking tapping the other side on the so- shoulder again to say, "Hey, I sent you that package. Did you get the package?" and then the other side will say, "Yes, I got the package. Thanks." And then I'll say, "Okay, I understand that you got the package. Now I'm going to send you the next packet." You know, forget that. UDP just sends the data. But problem is, sometimes things are so buried within a network that the UDP connection between computers, there's no... how do you find that exact computer when you've had to traverse a NAT? A NAT is, uh, what is it, Network Address Translation, I think? I mean, I know what it is, I just don't know what it stands for, but I think that's probably what it is, Network Address Translation. And the T could be something different, but it's definitely Network Address Translation or Transformation or whatever. Uh, And it's the thing that enables, if you've got a server uh, at your, in your house or at your business, and that server is sitting sort of like between the internet and your company, then that server is a, it's essentially the gateway, that's what they call it, in fact, a gateway server, it's the gateway to and from the internet, that's the portal through everything, through which everything passes, so all the computers on the network, they have to talk to that server, and that server sends all their communication out into the world, receives information back, and distributes it back out to the network, and part of the reason we have that is because IPv4, we don't have enough addresses for everybody, um, and so we we kind of put these big servers in the front of our net at the front of the network to just be one address for up to 254 other uh, entities on that network. Well, I say 200. It can be a lot more than that because you can have lots of subnets and and you know you can define lots of networks within your within your company. So I mean, actually, it could be a lot more than that. Um, so. That's that's this server. the The problem here is that that server, let's say, ha- has an address of um, 
you know, I don't know, 17.10.10.10, or actually 17.17.17.17, easy, easy, even easier. Uh, and and your your internal network, of course, you don't have a 17 dot something, something, something. You have 192 dot something, 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 or a 10.0 dot something, something, or a 172 dot something, something. So it doesn't, your internal address, like when you just do an IP adder show in your terminal, you get some local address. Whereas the server, if you do an, a curl of ICAN has IP, that's I C A N I I C A N I can has H A Z I P dot com, then you get your your global address back from 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 a, a view from the outside. So when you're cre- when you're connecting to something outside of your local network, the other side believes that you are 17.17.17.17, even though you are actually 192.168.0.1 or whatever. So there's a problem there, right? They, they How can they find, they can come knocking, you know, they can come to your neighborhood, but that doesn't mean they can find your house. So libnice is a way for uh, the system, your the, the, the application that you are creating with libnice it's a way to sort of the way that it does it sort of is is it kind of tags the communication from you or or rather from yeah let's say from you from your side of this conversation it tags it with the gateway address plus local address more or less it doesn't exactly do that um, but that's that's basically what it does It, it it tags your details your local details on the tail end of the global details and it keeps track of that so that the other side the, the you know the application on the other side that's that's connected with your application on this side now you each know where not only what state you live in but what house within that state you live in now, i mean not literally what state and what house like that's it's an analogy what really i'm saying what global address you've just sent from and what local address within that global address your 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 physical computer is actually located it doesn't do this alone it uses the uh turn server which stands for i did bring this one up a uh, traversal using relays around nat turn does sort of i mean its name is kind of self descriptive it figures out ways to 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 get sort of past the nat that that network address translation without losing track of where the signal came from uh, it can also use a stun server which is the session traversal of user datagram uh, of user datagram protocol through a network address translator, which is the NAT. So that's if you if you're tracking things, that's two acronyms contained within one. So it's STUN is session traversal of UDP through NAT. And 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 that's pretty similar. Again, it just ensures that once it connects to a gateway, it can find the thing, uh, you know, an external server to sort of lock onto and say, hey, I want to establish a connect, a, a, a session with you. So just keep in, you know, it's, it's almost like using, um, I guess, kind of a proxy in a way, um, or, or maybe a bookmark. You're essentially planting a, a you know, a, well, you're creating a session on a stun server. And, and then all the communication you do, um, 
goes through that stun server first to to track you down. So Libnice can use turn, it can use stun to help it sort of establish, you know, and keep this connection. But but that's what Libnice does. It 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 ensures that you are able to create and keep track of an interactive connect connection uh beyond you know o- over your nat which is important for for things that that require kind of like that real-time connection like a video call and this is used all all of these technologies well actually i don't know if lib nice is but stun and turn and, and certainly that sort of thing well stun is more i think for pbx but uh, i know that that turn definitely is used for uh web rtc so you know that kind of direct connection from computer to computer for for um for like a video call or or whatever Th- that's 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 utilized uh for for that and and lib nice is, is just it's another technology that does that, and I haven't tracked down exactly how they all sort of like interact and relate to each other. Um, I should say that on libnice.freedesktop.org, just looking at it in links because it's the only way that it's readable, uh, really, really good references here. You can uh, you can go read about this stuff. It's really, really great documentation. RFC 8445. That's the interactive connectivity establishment um, RFC. There's an R- RFC is request for comment. It is the it is the sort of the documentation of these protocols, like you know famous protocols like TCP and IP and and certainly ICE and Turn uh, RFC five seven six six RFC five three eight nine is the Stun implementation. So you can read all about it, and it is connected from libnice.freedesktop.org. Just again you're just going to have to go to links and look at the website there because the website's useless well the the web design is useless it's the one of the worst i i've just I've, it's one of the worst i've seen it's really bad um i mean you should go there just to just to see it for yourself libnice.freedesktop.org i mean looking at it you can think you can see why they probably thought yeah that looks pretty modern and cool uh it's just the the, the worst font for, uh, choice and the colors and oh bad okay lightweight library of c functions that's lib nih that's the oh wait i forgot to do my ldd trick that we're doing for i in user bin do ldd of i discard all the errors uh looking grepping for lib nice and then echoing what we what what got a hit uh let's see what application actually is using lib nice if anything uh it could be that it's included for development and that's it starting to suspect that that might be the case because it's not coming up with anything okay well that makes it easy to move on to lib nih which is a lightweight standard library quote unquote standard library of c functions to ease the development of other libraries and applications so it is it's a bunch of functions for c that are designed to help developers develop new libraries it's a library for library development um there's not a whole lot of information on it on the github page i did an ldd for um libnih and it turns out that there's a nih-dbus-tool in user bin, and and that's the only thing using this. So again, kind of definitely something that's really meant for for development because it's just not really used in anything except a tool that it also ships with. Uh, nih-dbus-tool generates C bindings for dbus objects. So that's what that does. Uh, I don't have a whole lot to say about this one. 
if you, if you need it, I'm sure you'll 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 know it. So it's something to look at if you're doing a lot of C development, which I'm not. LibNJB is next. This is a library for creative nomad related media devices. Remember last time I was talking, I think it was around when I was talking about LibMTP? No, there was something else in there. But anyway, talking about devices that had come up around the time of the iPod, around, you know, kind of concurrent to that. Sansa Clip, Sansa, other things, uh, the Nomad. Apparently there was a Dell DJ, digital audio player, various things. Uh, This, the Nomad, Creative Nomad, Creative Labs, I think, was the the company that did Nomad, I think. Uh, Creative Nomad Jukebox and Dell DJ apparently are both supported by this lib uh, NJB, Nomad Jukebox jukebox i guess and it is um it's a way to uh to 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 talk to your little music player your your media device not using mtp and instead you would be using njb so they have their own special protocol of course they do and this is the open source version of that or or implementation of that that protocol. So if you happen to have one of those old devices, this is the library that's going to make it possible for you to communicate with those devices. Is it actually used in anything? That's the question. Well, we'll find out as that runs. I'll I'll move on to the next one. Next one is LibNL. That's a library to communicate over, well, with Netlink. Oh, and I got NJB uh, results here. So I got NJB um, dash play, NJB dash tag TR dash set time, set dash dump time dash del file. So you kind of get the idea. I mean, these are commands you might expect to have to send a media player for whatever reason. So that's what that's what so again this is kind of this is used really in its own application like it's in in jb series of commands in user bin and, and that's what's using lib in in jb that's that's all it's really being used for which makes sense i mean this is exactly this is why libraries exist this is uh, just being used by the application okay so that's lib in jb now we're on to libnl which i said netlink what is netlink well that's a funny story so um this this is this is really funny so it says if you go to kernel.org uh slash doc slash html slash latest slash user space dash api slash netlink slash intro dot html you find really good documentation except um except so it, it's great it, it's a great example documentation like it's got it's got code it it tells you how to use the 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 library it's very good i have to admit though the introduction the introduction to the introduction is pretty darn funny so first of all netlink is often described as an io control or cuddle whatever ioctl replacement it aims to replace fixed format c structures as supplied to io control with a format allowing an easy way to add or extend argument so that that's a benefit obviously right like if it's if it's fixed and locked into place with io control then certainly it must be better that you can add uh, or extend arguments that you send to to an interaction with a with a subsystem but the problem here is, from a documentation standpoint, in my opinion, you have to know what I/O control is, right? I mean, without that context, without knowing what I/O CTL is, you don't know what net 
link is. And IO control, it says that it controls devices. The IO control system call manipulates the underlying device parameters of special files, in particular, many operating characteristics of character special files, such as terminals, may be controlled with IO cuddle or control, whatever. The argument uh, FD must be an open file descriptor. Okay, so that's that's some background. Hopefully you understand what that means. Um, so then it says, unfortunately, the protocol has evolved over the years in an organic and undocumented fashion, making it hard to coherently explain. That cracks me up because, I mean, this is the documentation for libnl. If it can't explain libnl to us, then presumably no one can. Or actually, I'm sorry, this is the documentation for netlink on, on kernel.org. So very funny, um, documentation. First it tells us what it's a replacement for, or more or less is a replacement for, and then it tells us that it can't really explain what it does. Great. Um, but there is that all, all of that said, all that, that critique, um, out there now. Um, the, the this documentation's excellent. Like, look through it, 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 it's one of those things, and I guess this is what they're trying to say, I guess, in their own documentation, is that they can't explain it, but they can show you how to use it. I don't think that kind of thing actually is true. I, I think I think what's happening is that the person who can explain it doesn't know how to explain it. But somebody knows what's going on here. Like this is you know this is not an unsolvable puzzle. We have the source code. Um. So anyway, what what is Netlink then? What what does it do? Well, um, if you poke around, and there are some good uh, there are some really good documentation projects on, or, or posts, I guess, about this, one of which, um, I'm, I'm gonna definitely link in the show notes, because it's, um, it, 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 I think it probably does the best, the best job. This is, um, Yaroslav's blog, written pretty recently, too, like, 2023-02-10, so it's, it's pretty up-to-date. Uh, it doesn't, I think he said it doesn't cover Vern, uh, kernel version 6.0, or, or it does, but it, when he first first wrote it, it didn't, so he added a section, something like that. So it's pretty, pretty up to date. So he says, if you're writing code in kernel space and want to communicate with it from user space, then you can do that through an, an API, essentially libnl, that can talk to what's called generic netlink, which, which is as opposed to just netlink, um, and, and talk to the kernel. And, and that can be important sometimes when you need to, to, tell the kernel something. So Netlink um, talks over sockets, Unix sockets, and libnl is the is the friendly thing that sort of protects you from having to deal you know, directly with with Netlink. You can use libnl to communicate with the kernel. Let the kernel know that you are, I don't know, adding a module or or I, whatever, like that that some process has been introduced that you need that you need um you need to interrupt the kernel's normal uh, operating cycle for, or you need to integrate that into the kernel's operating, the IPC um, cycle. So that's Netlink. That's as much I know as I know about it. And like I said, if you go to all the documentation sites about Netlink, that's almost all they know about it, really. Although they will have code to show you, which is um, really good to look at if, if you need to know. Um, this is a... 
like an alternative to like just raw sysfs or io control syscalls so people obviously sort of appreciate it um it's just nobody can explain it that's all so libnl3 is libnl except it's version 3 and you can find that at github.com slash thom311 slash libnl and same same commentary applies about that. There's, there's really just no, not a whole lot of um, explanation available on on really what it does or why you would want to use it. And so I feel very much like once again, it's kind of one of those things that if you need it, you'll know it, and um, and then you'll 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 be able to, I guess, get enough of an example from kernel.org uh, to be able to use it in your own code. All right, so I'm gonna look. Uh, the next one here, it's called libnotify, and I feel like we've had a couple of these kinds of, um, these kinds of, uh, things, uh, these libraries recently, like libnotification and libindicator uh, and things like that, uh, but this one is the GNOME project, libnotify. It's a library for sending desktop notifications to some notification daemon, as defined by, um, the notifications or org.freedesktop.notifications uh, specification. So as I've said before, I think, and, and all of these things are kind of basically all sort of around the same idea, and that is that we need an abstract, an abstraction layer for the idea that yes, all desktops, whether it's KDE, Plasma, whether it's GNOME, whether it's um, XFCE, or Openbox, or Fluxbox, or whatever, it, I mean, I know those aren't really desktops, those are Windows Manager, but I mean, every, you know, sort of interface, visual interface, it, it notifications, like, we just, we do that, I mean, we, we even, your phone has notifications, and which, you know, when I say that, you're like, well, obviously a phone has notifications. I, I, why would they not have notifications? But they that's not a foregone conclusion. Like, the concept of a computer notifying you is not necessarily something that was built in from the start. I mean, it might notify you in direct response to an action that you take, but it, it might not notify you of something that's happening in the background that you didn't interact with your, uh, personally, but, but of course they do. And, and, uh, you know, on a terminal, you might see a notification like in your terminal or something. Um, but on a desktop, where does that notification, where does that happen? Well, it, it happens in the notification system. Well, what's a notification system? Um, for a while, a lot of the different desktops had their own notification systems, and that was problematic. We, we needed an abstraction for notification. We just, look, I need to broadcast a message to the user. I don't care how it gets to the user, just make sure it gets to the user. And then whatever local library or subsystem is handling the notifications can take it from there. Lib notification is is the GNOME project version of that. And that's great. I, I think I've said it, well, I know I've said it before, said it in a previous episode a long, long time ago. I would love this kind of work to be done for file choosers, you know? Like when you go to an application and you click Control-O or, you know, you go to File Open and it presents a file chooser, that's what I call it. I don't know what people normally call it, but I think a file chooser probably, um, or an open file dialog window, whatever. Like that interface, I would love to be able to go to my system preferences and click, this is the file chooser that I want to use on my system across every single application. I want my bookmarks to be in this, in this, in the left-hand column, no matter what. I want 
when I when I go up a level, I want this I want that button to be located over here, not over there. You know, I I want I would love to be able to do that. I can't I cannot stand on 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 desktop Linux today that we still in 2023 we still see different file choosers. And I know it probably happens on Windows and Mac a little bit like if you go out and buy some application that that has a a strong sort of design identity, maybe you go to that application and it has some kind of it's got its own custom file chooser. Like that does happen and 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 I realize that. And it shouldn't happen there either. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. This is a computer, we should be able to customize it, and that is one of those things. Every single application, practically, almost, we could just say every single application, honestly. We could just say that. It might not be true. Those are exceptions. Those are outliers. Every application has a file open or a file save, something like that. Save as, export, whatever. You have to interface with your file system. How are you going to do that? You're going to do it with a file chooser. Which file chooser would you like? Who cares? The user should be able to define that for themselves. I would love to have a lib file chooser and just be able to abstract all of those calls out to some other thing. You could have, you could use the built-in one, but you could also use the cute one, or the Java one, or the, the Blender one, you know, whatever. Like, whatever kind of weird thing that you want to use, you should have access to it if it's on your computer. And you should have access to it from every single application. I should not see a different set of bookmarks in my Audacity file chooser, flat pack though it is, uh, and my LibreOffice file chooser. That's probably a flat pack too lately, I don't know. Point is, it, we should have the choice. Now, of course, that has nothing to do with lib notification, but I was just trying to tie in my my desire for a singular interface. Uh, I'll tie that into, you know, kind of piggyback off of, of lib notification, or lib notify, what it was, whatever it was called. Uh, next up is lib nsl, but you're probably thinking, seems like a time for a coffee, and so am I. So let's go get some coffee. We'll come back, finish up the N section. <laughs> with a cup of coffee. I didn't get around to the place I was hoping to get to whilst in Dunedin last week for good coffee beans. The place that I was attempting to go to, but they the schedules just never aligned. I was either in the area when they were closed or just not in the area at all. But the place that I wanted to go to was it is called Mazagran and I don't know what that means, but that's what it's called, and they they are well known in the in the region for roasting their own beans, and they'll sell it to you hot off the roast. I mean, you can get warm coffee beans from this place. It's really cool, um, but I didn't get there. So instead, I got two other things, one of which so far I have tried. This one is Inca Fe. So that's Inca, like I-N-C-A, like the uh, South American tribe, uh, the the people, I think, mostly of Peru, a big empire down there a long time ago, Inca, and then Fe, F-E, which I I don't know, like off the top of my head, that would be like faith or something, but I'm I'm not 100% sure. Um, I don't know if that's just a Latin word, or is it 
is that Spanish? Fe? F-E? Anyway, uh, in cafe, the, the clever thing here, obviously, maybe, is C-A-F-E, cafe, in, so it's really in cafe, in cafe, so in cafe. Uh, I got the Marin brand, or the Marin blend, I should say, and, and the, the, the flavor of this, and it is appropriately from Peru, so, um, Peru, uh, the, 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 the flavor profile of this, according to the, the, the bag here, is chocolate, dessert wine, floral notes. Um, I don't, I, I, I'm not getting any of that from this sip of coffee. Uh, it's good coffee, it's very good. I've tried it both in my, uh, trusty, you know, morning percolator that I use to make a bunch of coffee in the morning, and I've also made it in my, uh, desk, in my desktop. Stovetop, I, I always say desktop there. Stovetop, um, espresso maker, the mocha pot. Oh, and, and I've tried it in my plunger, so I've tried it lots of different ways. It's very good, nice, bold flavor. It's, it's very flavorful, which is great, because that's what the other thing that I was drinking, like the, the off-brand, you know, grab a bunch of coffee, put it in a bin brand, um, that's what it was really lacking. It just it didn't have, like, I mean, it, it tasted like coffee, but it didn't have, like, sort of a presence, you know? So this nice, bold flavor, I don't know, you could call it chocolate, I guess. A dessert wine? I, I don't even know what a dessert wine is. I mean, I guess it's a very sweet wine. Is this sweet? I, mean, I guess if I put sugar in it, it would be. It's good. Um, it's, I don't know that it has chocolate and floral or dessert wine notes at all, but it does have flavor, and that's what I was lacking, so it's, it's, it's suitable. It is, it is fine. I would buy it again. I, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not, like, a devoted fan of it, however. It, it isn't that good. It wasn't one of those cups of coffee where I made it, I took a sip, and I thought, oh, that's a good coffee. It, it's just, you know, I... I made it, I took a sip, and I thought, oh, good, like, good coffee again, thank goodness. You know, that was kind of my reaction. It was just, in comparison to what I've been drinking, it is better. Let's talk LibNSL. LibNSL is a client interface for NISYP, um, so apparently this was actually formerly a part of glibc, but they spun it off into its own library libnsl so that it could link against tirpc uh, for uh, ip version 6 compatibility so nis i've never actually used nis i i've vaguely heard of it apparently so the yp stands for yellow pages uh so nis and and the more modern version of it nis plus and i say modern you know i mean it was developed in like 1992 or something so um but, I mean, that's more modern than, I guess, NIS Yellow Pages. Uh, so, NIS is, it, it's Network Information Service is what it stands for. It was something developed by Sun Microsystems, so that's, like, wrapped up with the whole Solaris thing. Uh, this was obviously before Sun Microsystems got bought up and subsumed by Oracle. So, this was pretty old stuff. Um, really exclusive to Unix, and it was, as its name suggests, network information was provided by NIS. Um, there, I, I, again, I've never used it, never had to configure it or anything like that, but it, it, it's the same kind of information you might get from DNS, so, you know, um, IP address and 
domain name resolution, that kind of thing, uh, from LDAP. So, you know, getting information about who else is on your network. All of that kind of stuff is related. You know, NIS would have would have served that kind of information. Maybe maybe not exactly all of it, or maybe you know, maybe there's a maybe there's overlap, and then maybe there's some other stuff that that wasn't there, whatever. Um, but NIS was was Sun Microsystems' uh, version of of dealing with with just kind of general awareness of the network for your computer, and for more importantly, for the applications running on your computer. I mean, you know, like the cl- the actual clients on your computer. So you would be able to discover services over the network in part because of NIS. I guess again, never used it, never been on a network where it was in use that I know of. LibNSL, that's that one. Next up is LibNSS. This is the it. Oh, sorry, no, not libnss. Libnss underscore nis. This is the nss uh, plugin for nis. Again, came from glibc, got spun off on its own, so it could do the whole IPv6 compatibility thing, I guess. So lib or not libnss, but nss itself is the name service switch. That's what that stands for, and it connects internal f- system files like Etsy hosts, right? And, and Etsy hosts, of course, contains important host names that your computer, uh, that you want your computer to um, know about. And an external system like DNS, or in this case, NIS, libNSS underscore NIS, of course, this would be the NSS, uh, the NIS module for NSS. And that way, if you are on a network using NIS, then NSS in your computer can still connect, for instance, Etsy hosts through, you know, to, to NIS. And that way, you know, I mean, the simple, simple example, many of us have probably done this, um, aliasing some kind of server that you don't want your computer to access out in the real world, you can alias that to something benign in Etsy hosts. So you, a lot of people will do this for, well, some people, some people will do this for like ad blocking. Instead of blocking the ads on the internet through a browser plugin or something, you can add, you could say like uh, you know double click dot add dot net or whatever they are add dot double click dot net I don't know whatever um let's just make anytime you see that just go to one two seven dot zero dot zero dot one instead which of course won't have an ad for you so you just you just don't get it so the call is is just never it never gets past your Etsy hosts which is really really nice but if you were using NIS then without NSS for uh, underscore NIS you would not be able to you know NIS wouldn't know about Etsy hosts there are other uses as well but I think in this in this context that's that's kind of that's the that's a a use case and that's all the ends we're done that's the in section um we only have like one, two, three, four, four or five O's, and I, I feel like we could get through these. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so um, libodfgen is it's a, a library for generating documents in the open document format. So there you go. That's what that is. Um, if you need to create an ODF file with your application, this library will help you do that. That's really handy. ODF files are really cool. They're a lot of fun. But if if you, you, once again, a li- it's a library. So if you don't want to go to the trouble of discovering all the different components of an ODF file, then you can use this library to to set that up for you. And if you don't know, an ODF file is just it's a zip file. 
It's just a, it's an archive, and inside of it is contained a lot of XML data. There's data about the data, there's data, there's the data that you enter, translated into XML, and then when LibreOffice or whatever, Google Docs or Microsoft Word, does Microsoft Word open ODF now, or do they still pretend like no other software exists? I know Google Docs at least exports ODF, so whatever client you're using, you open up this, you, you send it this archive full of XML data, and it translates it into something pretty, laid out nicely, formatted correctly, with the right fonts, with all the graphics that you dropped into it, and so on. So that's that's why ODF works. It's, it's very cool. You can actually literally just unzip an ODF. Like the next time you have like an ODT file, um, just just unzip it. See what see what's in there. It's really it's really interesting. I did a lot of work with that um, once to try to fix a problem with footnotes. Footnotes were acting up on on something, so I was trying to help someone do that. I don't think I ever figured it out to be honest. It was too bad. Um, or actually, you know what? I think I figured it out on my system, but then it wouldn't work on their system, something like that. Um, and I also, I did a, another one, I had this, I had this experiment that I was doing with Git repositories, and it involved, like, you know, like, um, the binary, the, the size of, a of an archive, and I was using an ODT document, and so I kept, I, I don't remember what I was doing, I think I was, like, unzipping it, and working on the thing, and then zipping it back up, and then, I don't, I don't remember exactly, but it was, I was trying to demonstrate, or I was trying to determine whether a Git repository, like, just how much a Git repository grew when you continually, uh, committed binary blobs. And it didn't really grow that much. I was really interested. I was, I'm still a little mystified and really, really impressed. Like, it wasn't as bad as I'd anticipated. And, and so it was one of those experiments that sort of disproved itself instead of, or rather, disproved my hypothesis rather than then proved it, uh, and so I kind of walked away from it, being very impressed with Git, and probably ODT, you know, the, the whole archiving and compression is just so cool, so, so efficient, so nice. Okay, next up is libaug. This is a library for manipulating aug bitstreams. Uh, it can handle making an aug bitstream, and extracting packets from the aug bitstream, but that is compared to or pitted against lib og z o g g z this comprises of lib og z and the tool OGGZ OGS, which provides commands to inspect, edit, and validate og files there's also the ogs-chop tool that you can use to uh, serve just a time range of AUG media over HTTP through any HTTP server that supports CGI. This libaugz uh, claims to offer various improvements over the reference libaug, uh, and it supports seeking and validating uh, and timestamp interpretation. Those are that's those are two pretty pretty big claims to fame who who actually is the best how would we ever know i don't really know i guess we'd have to like use it and find out like that that would be really the only way i could think of to um to figure out which one i preferred the the reality is libaug is in basically everything uh, not everything but a lot i'm talking a lot there it is in account wizard i don't even know what that is it's probably something for kmail akanadi archive mail agent 
Akinadi console, Akinadi EWS resource, and, and you can kind of imagine from there in terms of the A's, it's in Caligra, which is the KDE Office application, which I, again, didn't really actually even realize I still had installed. Uh, there's KDE Connect, there's Kmail, there's Clipper, there's KWallet, um, there's Implayer, of course, there's Flack, Mincoder, Metaflack, Mumble, of course. Well, Mumble isn't um, on Slackware. I installed that, didn't I? Uh, Socks, of course, would have Socks. Uh, and, and so on. I mean, it's just in, it's in so many things. It's in Tulane, it's in Yaquake, it's in Vorbis content, a, a comment rather. Again, I think I installed that myself. And so with Tulane as well. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm saying it's in everything because I'm looking at a bunch of stuff that I have myself installed, but it is in a lot. So that is, um, something to think about. It's in a lot of applications. It just gets thrown into a lot of things because if, if it needs to handle an AUG file, then it's going to use libaug. That's just what the assumption is. Like, let's just use libaug. Well, libaugz is in, well, just its its own application. So, um, augs chop, augs codex, augs comment, augs dump, augs info, augs rip, augs scan, augs sort, and augs validate. So I'm going to do an uh, augs info on let's find an aug file here what could i find uh, i guess i should do a find in my music directory not actually my music directory but we'll call it a music directory and i'll just do a there we go okay so here is a um here's an aug well there's a lot of aug files that's what i've learned about myself i have a lot of aug files i don't even know where to begin here's something from the SDF Music um, Collective, augs-info, and then we'll just paste in the path here to the SDF uh, song, or one of a, a song off of a compilation d done by the SDF people. Uh, here's Vorbis, serial number 060795-4841. Hopefully that's not important. Um, it's it contains 89 8 8944 8, packets in 562 pages 15.9 packets per page 1.229 aug overhead audio sample rate is 44.1 and audio channels is 2 so it's i don't know it's it's not exactly ff probe but maybe it's um maybe there's you know maybe maybe you need that you know maybe this is what you need and you don't want the stuff that FF Probe gives you. Maybe you want to know about the packets in the pages. Um, there is also Augs Merge, which kind of seems pretty nice. So let's look at that really quick. Augs Merge. And remember, this is Augs with a Z. So O G G Z. The dash merge is what the the thing is. So you can merge two Aug files together, and the syntax is the the file name, presumably the file name, and then dash O or dash dash output a new file name. So I should be able to choose two different um, two different files here. So we, we've got a, a baseline of this one SDF song. Uh, let's do, let's see, this is from, okay, so let's do track five, Red Martian, your computer.og. And um, we'll, we'll do an augs merge of track four GRC vineyards and track five red Martian your computer dash dash output just put it in my temporary directory and we'll call it test.og and now I'm going to do an augs 
Oh, it says, okay, so it says, um, no, don't do this. Merging Ogvorbis 1 files, the resulting file contains two tracks in parallel, interleaved for simultaneous playback. That's not what I thought this was at all. If you want to sequence these files one after another, use cat instead. What a helpful message. Wow. That's one of the most helpful messages I have ever seen in a software. That is so cool. Um, I am definitely impressed. Okay, so let's take a look at what I've produced. Um, so I do have uh, Augs info in my uh, test directory, a test.og, and I've got two different serial numbers, 018-794-8299, and the other one, 060-795-4841. I've got 35,841 packets in 1962 pages uh, in one sort of stream, and in the other stream, I've got the same, 8,944 packets in 562 pages, so that's the, that's the original. So as as Augs Merge warned me, I have created a file that contains two two files sort of next to each other. So if I were to play this, I would hear both tracks playing at the same time. Probably not really what I want. Uh, as it says, you can actually just use cat to sequence Aug files. So I don't know. I mean that that impresses me, to be honest. Like that's really cool that they that that the author of Aug's Merge thought to give you a little heads up that hey if you thought you were doing one thing um just be aware that you're you're, you're not uh, Aug's dump is a hex dump uh, view of an Aug file it gives you you know the hex the hex dump on the left and then the canonical sort of decoding thing on the right lots of different applications there to play around with very cool i don't know how useful it is on an everyday basis it's not this you know there's not really these are editing kind of like yeah these are these are code type applications it's it's not stuff that you're going to use it's not og123 or og321 whatever that one is um it is and it's not flack you know it's it's just it's 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 tools to look at og data in in ways that you don't you know normally you don't look at aug data right you listen to it you listen to the data stream this is how to look at it okay lib oil o i l oil say that as two syllables lib oil lib o i l um so lib oil is a library of simple functions optimized for various cpus i love these descriptions these are great these functions are generally loops implementing simple algorithms such as converting an array of n integers to floating point numbers or multiplying and summing an array of n numbers. Such functions are candidates for significant optimization using, you guessed it, various techniques, especially by using extended instructions provided by modern CPUs such as Altivec, MMX, SSE, and so on. So that's LibOil. It, it is, as its name kind of does imply, it, it's meant to sort of make the process of, of these, of, of dealing with these, you know, these this data a little bit smoother. And that means we're going to end the episode on Lib Opus Inc. This is a library to help you encode Opus files. Of course, I use Opus Inc. Uh, every week when I release this very podcast, the one that you're listening to right now, uh, and possibly like literally the one that you're listening to right now. Like if you're listening to an Opus file, then you are listening to something that was encoded with Opus Inc. And the command for that is probably in cast to castpub to opus.sh. Yeah, here it is. Okay, so it's a function uh, right now called ink to opus. This is just, okay, so here we go. Opus ink. It's a good one. Uh, I've got dash dash bitrate. 
defining the bitrate, I've got dash dash down mix dash mono so that it just comes through one one output. So that way, if someone's wearing an earbud or a you know a headphone just in one ear, they'll hear the same audio that someone hears when wearing two earphones. Dash dash title, that's some metadata. Dash dash artist, that's some metadata. Dash dash comment. Album equals, more metadata. Dash dash comment genre equals. Dash dash comment description equals the comment. Um, and then you give it the the source, which unfortunately, for whatever reason, um, the wave, like the Opus Inc., it, it won't go from like flack to to opus it i don't know why um it instead it, it really wants a wave file so i have to temporarily encode my media to to a dot wave which i don't i don't save things as waves i mean why would i flack is great so i do have to go out to wave for this stupid command and then from there i go out to opus and then of course i remove the the wave file so the the command is a little bit annoying and i don't know exactly why these open source commands would ever like sort of not decode from like flack especially but i mean you know you just someone has to think to put it in there or, or else they don't put it in there and i can i can i can understand that that's yet another function to write so it doesn't yeah you have to go out to wave as a user that's fine whatever opus inc is the 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 place where lib opus inc that's where it, it's that's what it's compiled into lib opus inc is used by opus inc that's that's what drives opus inc but that doesn't mean you can't use it elsewhere. If you're writing a program to, you know, convert things, or you you, you want to make something that can decode from Flack and then encode into Opus, then this would be a library that you could use, libopusinc. That'll get you out to Opus. Use it. And I think that's it for this episode. In the next episode, we'll continue two sections in one episode. That's the kind of progress we want. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. My name is Klaatu. You can reach me anytime over email with feedback or comments, tips, or just to say hi. My email address is klaatu at slackermedia.info. You can also reach me on the Mastodon network, not klaatu, at mastodon.xyz. The show's intro and outro music is by Fat Chance Lester. You can find their music on bandcamp.com or on gnuworldorder.info in the archive you'll find a music directory containing the album from which this music has been extracted until next time thanks for listening and keep the source open
don't know. Everything's gone haywire in here.